as Rich just alluded to, we are continuing our four weeks in Philippians 4. And today we're going to look at just two verses, verses that are familiar to many of us, maybe verses that you have memorized in a Bible memorization program. Uh, they're small, but they pack a lot. Please listen as I read from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So read the words of the living God. So you may recall the time when Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? What's the greatest command in the law of God? And Jesus responded with, anybody know? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And he threw in a bonus and said the second one is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. So there Jesus gives us the starting place for every other command of God. But if somebody, if the questioner had asked Jesus, what command is given in the scripture more than any other? What words and instructions does God have to give more than any other? It wouldn't have been about love. In terms of numerical frequency, the number one command in the Bible is fear not or something like it. Don't be afraid. Take courage or our text today, be anxious for nothing. Let that settle in. What God has to tell his people more than anything else is not love people, not even love God, it's don't be afraid. What does that tell us about the human condition? What does it say about you and about me? We are a fearful people. We need to be reminded over and over again, by God, it's going to be okay. Take courage. I got this. We live in a culture of fear. People are afraid all over the place, not just in this room, not just those watching online, but all over the place, people are afraid. And if you've ever studied psychology, and in particular persuasion, you will find that fear is the greatest persuader there is. If you want to move people from here to there, cause them to fear staying here, and they will get up and move. It's just part of who we are. We are constantly afraid, or at least tempted to fear. And Paul comes along and he says, very starkly, be anxious for, how many things? What is not included in nothing? Everything, right? So take everything there is and don't be anxious about any of it. Yeah, easy for you to say, Paul, right? 
Before we dive into the text, I want to I help us understand a, a nuance, a distinction between the ideas of a certain kinds of fear and what Paul's talking about. We could, we could distinguish it this way. There is a difference uh, between fear and anxiety. The difference is this. Fear is a, an almost spontaneous, involuntary response to a particular stimulus, a provocation, something that is a clear and present danger. And again, a lot of times you respond in fear, you're not thinking about it, you just do. It's, it it, it, it kind of goes like this, that fear is the what now? Right, it's 2 a.m., you hear a loud noise downstairs, what now? What do I do now? And if any of you gentlemen say, I wake up my wife, you're not doing the right thing. You're the one that goes down and sees what made a, a noise. If, if you're on an airplane and the uh, pilot comes over the uh, intercom system and says, folks, I hope you were paying attention to those safety measures at the beginning because we're, we've lost all our engine power and we're going to crash. That is clear and present danger. What now? Are we over Kansas? Is there water landing? What do, what do I do in response to this? Whereas anxiety is not about a clear and present danger. It's not about what now. Anxiety is something that takes more thought and processing, and it's more of a what if. There's not a particular, tangible, observable thing, but it's theoretical in our minds. It, it has to do with allowing our thoughts to create a scenario that could be dangerous, could be intimidating, could be painful. Something we don't know if it's going to happen, but it might. Again, the difference is you walk into your classroom in college and the professor says, take out a piece of paper and a pencil, and I'm going to give you a quiz, a pop quiz. And now you're thinking, oh no, what do I do now? Because I, I haven't been reading my books. That's different from announcing that at the end of the semester, you're going to have a final exam. And for some of us, as soon as we see that exam date, there's not much else we can focus on for the next three or four months is, oh no, what if I don't pass? What if I don't pass and that means I fail the class? And what if I fail this class and, and, I, have to get, and I get kicked out of school or I can't get a job? Or, 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 and now you just start building and layering on what if, what if, what if. That's the kind of anxiety that Paul is addressing in this text. The word itself that he uses here is different from the word fear. In the New Testament, the word for fear is the word phobos, from which we get lots of phobia words in, Amer in English, right? Arachnophobia. You're afraid of arachnids. What are arachnids, Sophie? Yeah, my daughter has arachnophobia in spades. This word that's used here in Philippians 4 is a different word altogether, and part of the word is actually the word for mind. It means you're thinking about this. The word itself is not inherently negative. This word is used many times in the Bible to describe positive concern. 
For instance, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says that the married person is concerned about how to please his spouse or her spouse. Same word, but it doesn't mean a, a, an anxiety. It's just your concerns, your cares, your focuses on how do I take care of my, my spouse as opposed to the one who is unmarried, he says, is concerned about the things of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean your spouse is not of the Lord. That's not the point. But he, he's making a distinction there in the context that makes sense. Elsewhere, Paul says, using this same word, there's been only one person who is really concerned or cares for the right things. So anxiety, this word that lies behind anxiety is not inherently negative. It depends on the context. But it has to do with concern, care, thinking, where you let your mind go. And so Paul uses that word, and here it's got the more negative connotation, be anxious for, be pondering in a, in a fearful way, nothing. So here's my guess. If you looked ahead and knew this was coming, it created anxiety for you because what you expected was me to stand up here and tell you, stop it. Are you fearful? Stop it. I've been asking around this week. When you hear the Bible talk about be anxious for nothing, or the Bible says don't be afraid, what do you think of? And every single person I asked immediately went to fear is a sin. Is that where your mind goes? Immediately? Don't be afraid? Yeah, I know. This used to drive my mom crazy. She hated these passages that talked about fear. It just made her fear more. <laughs> Am I fearing too much? Am I too anxious? And she got caught up in trying not to be anxious, and that made her more anxious. We kind of do that. And what we expect Paul to do is to say to us, stop it. For those of you who have taken my counseling class, one of the earliest things I do is I show this great Bob Newhart skit that is basically that. You know, counseling kind of all boils down to different ways of telling people, stop it. It's not really that simple. It's not really that simple. And I love how in this passage, Paul does not simply say, be anxious for nothing, stop it. He tells us what to do about it. He gives us hope when our hearts are anxious. He gives us the way forward when we are fearful. Be anxious for nothing is one part of this sentence. And then he comes over and says, and instead of that, rather than that, do this. And he says, make your requests known to God. How do we handle anxiety? How do we handle fear? Make your requests known to God. Notice what he does not say. And this is so important if we're going to deal with our anxiety right. It is so important. He does not say, take your fear to the Lord. Now, Peter does say that. And if I had time, I would try to show you that I think Peter is saying the same thing Paul is. Paul, Peter does say, cast your anxiety before the Lord. But I think he means the same thing that Paul does. What happens when you're anxious about something 
and you go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to not be anxious about this, you're still focusing on the anxiety. You're still focusing on whatever it is that makes you anxious. Your mind is concentrating on yourself and your fears. That's what we tend to do. Whatever we set our mind on. All right, do a little experiment here. You all know what this is, right? I want you to not think about pianos right now. Stop thinking about pianos. Got it? Are you thinking about pianos? Oh, yes, you are. (laughs) Those of you who aren't, how did you get there? You have to think about something else. You can't just not think about pianos when I tell you, don't think about pianos. If you just simply say, I need to stop being anxious, I need to stop being afraid, Lord, help me stop being afraid, all of your mental energy is going toward fear. It's not what Paul says. He doesn't say, stop being anxious and take that anxiety to the Lord. He says, take your requests. It's transformational if that clicks. You know who taught about anxiety more than anybody else in the Bible? Jesus. And he took the same approach that Paul does. I suppose I should say Paul's taking the same approach that Jesus did. Remember Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount? He's talking about putting your treasures in heaven, not on earth. And he's he's talking about money and, and temporal things. And he says to his disciples, to all those following him, he says, don't worry about your life. Same word as anxious here. Don't be anxious for your life. Don't be anxious for what you're going to eat. Immediately you go, oh, now he's got me thinking about what I'm going to eat. Right? But Jesus didn't just say, stop it. He led his disciples to think rightly. He says, come here, brothers and sisters. Look at the birds. Take a look at the birds flying around. Do they plant seeds in the springtime and water those seeds and weed those seeds, fertilize those seeds, and then come fall, harvest their food and put them in storehouses so they have plenty to eat? He says, no, they don't do any of that. How do they eat? Where do they get their food? He says, my Father in heaven feeds the birds. And then he asked the question, aren't you worth much more to God than birds? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is, yes, we are worth much more than birds. He says, look at the flowers of the field. Do they get out their sewing needles and their threads and their cloth and, and weave together beautiful clothing? No, they don't do any of that. But God clothes them far beyond the richest man who ever lived, Solomon. He says, think, you are more valuable than these flowers. These flowers are going to be pulled up and thrown in the fire. You have inherent, eternal dignity before God. He's going to provide clothing for you. 
Why do you worry about your soul? And he throws this line in Matthew 6. He says, oh, ye of little faith. And that's another one of those occasions that we talk about where I wish I knew for certain what his tone was. Sometimes he says that, and it seems pretty clear, it's a strong rebuke. How long have I been with you? How long will I be with you? Oh, ye of little faith. That's not the feel of Matthew chapter 6, in my opinion. It sure seems like he's reminding them of who the Father is and saying, your faith is small, but it can be big. Your Father provides for these animals, these flowers. He will provide for you. He will care for you. What is your worrying accomplished for you? Is your anxiety about the possibility of a plane crashing going to do you any good? Is God capable of caring for you in the midst of a plane crash? Preventing a plane crash? Yes, he is. He cares. He says your father cares, he loves you. Worrying about tomorrow doesn't benefit you. You need to do what God calls you to do today and let tomorrow take care of itself. And it's all about where your mind is. Think the right thoughts. Well, Paul does the same thing. Be anxious for nothing. And instead of being anxious, he says, make your requests known to God. Not your fears, your requests. That is a crucial distinction. Because the anxiety starts when we start going down the what if. What if I don't pass my final exam? If we go through that whole semester saying, Lord, help me not be afraid of the exam, we're not going to receive the benefit that Paul promises. So here's how this works. Here's my request, Lord. I want to pass that exam. That's my request. I want to get a passing grade on that exam so that I can pass that course, finish my degree, and get a decent job. That's what I want. I want to make it safely to St. Louis on this airplane. I don't want to crash. I don't want to die today. Father, that's the request. I want to be married. I want to have children. Instead of, what if I never get to get married? What if I never get to have children? I want to avoid the coronavirus. Lord, that's what I want. Rather than pondering, what if I get it? What if I get it? That's a, you might say that could fit in both camps of the fear and the anxiety. But what he's telling us is take those requests to the Lord and let him know this is what I want. Now he gives a little qualification. Bring your prayers and your requests to him with, what? 
thanksgiving. Because the danger is when, when we get this open book, just bring all your, your requests to the Lord, it's easy for us to start thinking, oh, great, I'll just go down my list and start checking off everything I want. And it's easy to transition to a very self-centered mindset. Well, we get a qualification here. Bring your request with thanksgiving. It's really hard to become entirely selfish or overwhelmed with anxiety when we continue to give thanks. Lord, I'm going to get on this airplane and I'm, I'm hoping to fly to St. Louis. I want to make it there alive. I want to see my family. And I am thankful to live in a day and an age where we have the technology where I can fly there in a couple of hours. I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that you have preserved me this long. And I'm thankful that you've not allowed me to die in a car crash, which statistically is way more likely than an airplane crash. And I'm thankful that you've not allowed a spider to bite me and kill me, because statistically it's way more likely than dying in a plane crash. I'm thankful for all of these things. You are good to me. You've cared for me. You've protected me. And I'm asking you, please, Father, let me get to the end of my journey safely. Do you see the difference between that and saying, Lord, help me not be afraid? Help me not be afraid? Help me not be afraid? In our own psyche, in our own heart and mind, it's very different to go to the Father and say, here's what I'm asking. Here's what I need. Here's what I want. And I'm thankful and I'm rejoicing and I trust you. When we say to the Lord that we are thankful for things, it shows our dependence and shows his goodness. And now we turn and look at the thing that could be anxious and fearful and say, I trust you. I will put Paul on the line here and promise you when you become anxious and start pondering the what ifs, if you will take your requests to the Lord with thanksgiving, everything will change in the inner man. Because Paul gives us a promise. Now he does not promise that you'll pass the exam. Nor does he promise that you'll make it to St. Louis. But when we're anxious, that's not actually our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is what's going on on the inside. And here's what Paul promises if we bring our request to the Lord with thanksgiving, the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind. The peace that God gives, the peace that only God gives, will guard your heart and your mind. Which is, is what we want, it's what we need, to have the inner peace. Because anxiety stirs up not peace, but great turmoil, agitation and angst. And we want peace. 
And Paul just said, this is how you get that peace. Bring your request to the Lord with thanksgiving. Now he says here, this peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. The English translators are doing a little bit of interpreting here for you. If you, if you have the New American Standard, you'll see a footnote in there that says, instead of comprehension, or NIV and some of the others say understanding, the word actually is mind. The peace of God which goes beyond all mind or thought. It's not so much saying that God's peace transcends all comprehension and ability to understand anything. That's, that's how we tend to read it. That's how we tend to think of it. God's peace is just, it's beyond comprehension. It's not really what he's saying. What he's saying is, all those thoughts that you had that created anxiety, God's peace is able to penetrate all of that and work through all of that to get to your heart and your mind and bring calm. Do you see that? You see what it's getting at? The peace of God can, can penetrate. It, it goes beyond your ability. You, you, you can't think further than God's peace can reach. So that anxiety about not making it to the end, his peace is able to go beyond that and affect your thoughts and your hearts. It says, when he does this, he will guard your hearts and minds. There's that concept again. The inner man, the will, the thoughts, the feelings, the ponderings, all those things. He will guard it. The, the word in, in the Greek there for guard is like literally setting up a garrison, a, a, a wall of soldiers to protect your heart and mind. So the, the imagery is like you have, you have these fears invading your mind and your heart. And it's stirring up all kinds of apprehension about what might be. What if this happens? What if that happens? And when we bring our request to God with thanksgiving, it's like he sends an army of soldiers that now stand guard and say, uh-uh, you thoughts of apprehension and fear, you're not allowed in here. I've been sent here to protect this man's heart and mind. Now think about the times you've been most anxious. Wouldn't you love more than anything else for all of those thoughts to be kicked outside and a guard sent from God place where you're not allowed, they're not allowed back in? I mean, the thing we're afraid of is not nearly as awful as the anxiety we have of it possibly occurring. That's our experience. And God says, I will set up a wall of soldiers and not allow it in if you'll bring your requests to me. You know, so often happens when I'm preparing a sermon that the Lord brings specific illustrations in my own life, kind of putting me to the test. Oh yeah, you've been pondering this, you've been studying this? Oh yeah, let's see if you can do it. So yesterday I'm studying and my wife walks in and she says, hey, did you know that blood clots are a significant complication of COVID-19? I said, no, I didn't know that. 
well, that matters to me because my wife has a condition called factor V Leiden. And she has another condition called protein C deficiency. And sometimes her body acts as though she has a protein S deficiency. And if you don't know what any of that means, I don't know what very much of it means, but what I know is that she's a very high blood clot risk. In fact, when we got pregnant with our third daughter, third, third child, second daughter, third boy, third child, anyway. <laughs> we had a new obstetrician, and he knew a lot about this whole thing, and he said, you guys need to be done. Because she's very high risk, and pregnancy is one of the highest situations of blood clotting. So naturally, we hear this, that uh, COVID-19 is a significant cause of blood clotting, or there's a complication mix in there, and suddenly, the what-ifs come flooding my mind. And I thought, thank you, Lord, for preparing me to know how to handle this on this day. And I did exactly what Paul says. I said, Lord, I don't want my wife to die. I don't want her to get a blood clot. I don't want her to get COVID. I want her to stay healthy. And it, God did what he said he would do. I didn't think about the rest of the day. I got up this morning knowing I was going to talk about this, and I know he has not promised to keep the disease away, but he has promised to keep the anxiety away. And I may have to ask God again, please don't let her get COVID. Please don't let her get a blood clot. And I promise you, she's going to have to ask him over and over again those things. But that's where it gets real. But God is faithful to do what he said he would do, to take care of his people, not just the body, but the heart and the mind. And again, I promise you, if you will take your request to the Lord, be very specific, here's what I need, here's what I want, He's your father. He's not going to boot you out and say, how dare you ask me for those things. That's not how our father is. Is that how you are as a father to your children? No, he says, come, come boldly. Bring your needs to me. He doesn't promise to answer every request exactly as we ask them, but he promises to guard our hearts and our minds from the anxiety and again, we all know, we've all been through it where that anxiousness is far worse than the actual thing we're scared of. It's this ongoing state of turmoil when at the moment there's nothing truly to fear. We can't sleep. We don't want to eat. Fear paralyzes so we don't do the things we should be doing. We get cranky with others. So many of those things are caused by anxiety. And God says, I will set up the guard walls. 
if you just bring me your requests. And as we do that, we're reminded he is faithful, he is true, he cares for us, and he tells us over and over again, my little children, fear not. My little children, do not be afraid. My children, take courage. I've got you. Let's pray. Father, the, the truth is simple. This is not a hard and complex subject. But it's hard to do. There's a reason why you have to tell us over and over and over again not to fear. Because we're a fearful people. Lord, I ask in this, in this day when there's a pandemic there is social, political unrest. There's violence in the streets, quite literally. When there's uncertainty about the, the economy that lies ahead. And there's so many things that, we, that are out of our control. Some things that are fearful right now and some things that it's easy for us to ask the what-ifs. And all of that, Father, would you, by your Spirit, draw our minds to this promise and enable us to bring our requests to you for our own internal well-being, but also as a testimony to a fearful world that we trust you. Lord, do that in our, in our people, I pray.